Welcome to Whiskey and Wonder. All right. All right. All right. I sat here and hit on the video. I hit the hot key that I have set up to go into the view mode three times before I realized I was hitting the one that puts the start screen up. <laughs> so we're off to a great start. All right. On uh, that note, we are Whiskey and Wonder. I'm Tyler. And I'm Megan. And today we have a guest. We do. We have an unexpected yes. guest. Hello. So this is friend Bella. Hello. Friend Bella is joining us. Hello, friend Bella. Hi. I'm very excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Tell us a little bit. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself to start off with. Um, I don't actually know what to say. Uh, I know you have a naked poodle. Yes, I do. I have a naked <laughs> poodle. Um, <laughs> I have... I have a uh, nine-month-old now, today, I believe. Uh, she turns nine months old. Wow. She's that big at nine months? Yes. So um, I just saw a picture of this naked poodle because I didn't believe it. <laughs> so that's how it, I know how big she is. Yes, yes. She kind of, for anyone who knows, looks like Navia now that she has been shaved, um, which is the whole reason why I shaved her. But uh, yes, I have a poodle. Um, I have an almost 11-year-old. German Shepherd Husky Retriever mix um, named Quinnen, who is my whole world. And now LaFell is my whole world as well. And um, I kind of met Megan through LaFell, actually, um, taking your classes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, anything else you want to tell us about you? Uh, or did I put you on the spot and you want to think on it? Totally wasn't thinking on it. Um, <laughs> That's fine. We can, we can go ahead and do our announcements and we can chit chat some more in the. Open segment, if you want to do that. Sure. Okay. Sure. Whatever works for y'all. So, yeah, we're going to move into announcements. All right. I have not started the blog yet, <laughs> um, but I was sick for a few days, so I spent oh. a lot of time in bed. Well, I didn't know you were sick. I hope you're feeling better. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling a-okay now. It's just one of those weird, like, 48-hour bugs, but it knocked me on my ass for a couple of days. Mm. So, that was rough. Um I blame it on crotch goblins. <laughs> you, you just say crotch goblins? Yeah, children. Okay. Children are crotch oh. goblins. Oh, children. <laughs> Tiny humans. I was thinking that was like crabs or something. No, no, <laughs> no. No, not in a... No, no. Okay, good, good. Um, <laughs> I could tell on Tyler's face. He was like, well, I didn't want to know that. <laughs> yeah, uh, well. <laughs> so... If you guys are wondering what we're talking about, uh, last week we announced Megan is going to start a blog about her uh, musings, I believe. It's yes, Megan's Mediocre Musings. Mediocre Musings, yes. So that's going to be available on our Patreon. Um, anybody that subscribes to the low tier, which is $5 a month, will get access to that, as well as... Um, our episodes, you'll be able to access our episodes early. We usually post them Sunday evening, Monday early, Monday uh, for our Patreon subscribers. And for everybody else, you guys get them Thursday mornings. So be sure to go to Patreon and subscribe. Like I said, five bucks a month. Um, I'm looking at, excuse me, doing some... Uh, maybe as I'm sitting here working on some stuff, maybe doing like some live streams or stuff like that. So we'll, um, uh, we'll cross that bridge and that'll be added along as well. We're going to always try to add some bonus content mm -hmm. for you folks, but 
that uh i guess that pretty much does it for the announcements we've yeah. got some stuff in the store uh at whiskeywonder.com i think we've got some glasses left but yeah we have some tumblers um unless you wanted to give a description about your blog and what you may or may not feature or... i mean literally it's going to be just random musings um i have no rhyme or reason to what i'm going to post uh might be occasionally a random short story might be ranting about shit in the world might be D talk i literally don't know it's gonna be mediocre musings just <laughs> shit that crosses my head that i'm just gonna put into the ether for all of you to read with Brit with me all right so you get a piece of megan's mind hey scary <laughs> sorry all right so i guess we'll go ahead and move on and um oh no i'm sorry i forgot to do our social media blurb oh, that's shit. why we have a schedule people Look at the schedule, Look at the Tyler. schedule, yes. So uh, check us out. I mentioned it earlier, whiskeyandwonder.com. You can uh, check out some biographies on Megan and I. You can see what we've done uh, whiskey-wise and what we rated it each episode um, and go back and listen to those. Or if you had something you liked or didn't like, um, you can check those out there. Uh, you can find us on YouTube. Just search Whiskey and Wonder and our channel should come up or at least some of our videos. Thank you to everybody that has been watching on YouTube because we have gotten a noticeable uptick recently in some videos. We appreciate that so much. Thank you. Uh, and as do what? So thank you for show. Yeah, absolutely. Thank everybody for that. And as for the uh, listening on the your your podcasts, do what? Haha, <laughs> faux oh. show because you it's a show on YouTube. Ah, I'm, I'm glad someone got it. I, well, I see. No, wait. <laughs> There we go. No, I don't have the own one anymore. I got rid of it. Um, we didn't use it often enough. No. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, check us out on YouTube. If you listen on our any of our podcasts, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, we have noticed an uptick of listens there as well. Mm -hmm. So thank you guys for that. And yeah. I just checked the numbers earlier. Have you checked the numbers lately? I have not. Do you want to know where we're at? Yep. 45. Hundred, we've got a few more than forty five hundred, so we're closing in on that five thousand. Oh, that five thousand gap, Mark. Which Great. for anybody that does not remember or is a long time listener, Megan made a vow to I. If if you'll recall, I shaved my beard off at uh, what was it two thousand or twenty five hundred? I lessons? don't remember. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, I shaved my beard off, and now Megan has said she will. We'll go to dinner, me, her, Houston, and Shelby, and we will document this. Um, and she will wear a pink, bright, disgustingly bubblegum pink dress with heels and a sash and tiara. Maybe not a sash. I don't know. We'll see. And it'll have to be documented. So that's yep. the goal. Get to 5,000 so we can embarrass the hell out of Megan. I can't see that. But also, I desperately want to please everyone. Yes. Yep. Uh, we're close. <laughs> I want to so see this. I didn't, I didn't want to shave my beard, but I did it. So, yep. You and volunteered, we, though. It was your idea to shave your damn beard. You said, let's do something. I just came up I with did. the idea. You did. You just happened to choose just the. I was embarrassed. <laughs> well, it's going to happen. Everybody saw my chin, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Chin's um, so embarrassing. Uh, I just basically don't have one. So. <laughs> If you've watched any of those videos on YouTube, um, check us out. Uh, Instagram at whiskey podcast, patreon.com slash whiskey slash whiskey and wonder if you want to 
subscribe to get the early episodes and Megan's blog and some of our other bonus content. And as always, please feel free to send us an email at contact at whiskeyandwonder.com. Send us your love, send us your hate, send us your recommendations, topic recommendations. Everything. We, we, we always love appreciate emails. So everything else, Facebook, Twitter, all the other stuff you can find in the show notes down below. And let's move on. Open segment. And as I said that and hit that button, I realized I forgot to thank all the people that donate and support the show. So before thank we you, do the open everyone segment, who thank uh, you guys donates and supports the show, and you do all amazing things. Yes, everybody that is on our Patreon, we appreciate you. Yes. I feel like I should join in the thank yous. Thank you, everyone. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Please, you're supporting <laughs> our show. You're helping us. You're, you're you here. Are. You're here. So let's let's start the open segment now that you've had some time to think on what you might want to say. The floor is yours. Oh, great. Uh, can I say that I work with you? Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I don't mention any company names or anything, but everyone here does know that I am a dog trainer. Okay. 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 Um, you guys work together? Yes. I did not know that. So uh, it's actually kind of a fun story. I uh, was at the point uh, in my career where I needed a co-trainer to um, I have was selling more class more classes and getting more clients than I alone could handle uh, so Look I get you yeah I know All right? right pause for Megan <laughs> good job yeah, thank you um, and I was at a point in my career where I needed another trainer to uh, help out because we were doing so well. Um, and I actually asked Bella if she would like to become a prof professional trainer um, because watching her work with her dog and then how she interacted with the other people in her dog's class was very inspiring and it reminded me a lot of me when I first started uh, my career. And I saw that and I thought she would make a fantastic dog trainer. So Bella is actually my my co-trainer here uh here. So Nice. I, That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, I it was not at all expecting Megan to ask if I wanted to to work with her. Um I was just out of a previous job and was starting to look for a new job too. And I love, I mean, obviously I love working with dogs. There's no way you can be a trainer and not love working with dogs or at least not be effective as a trainer and not love working with dogs. Um, but she asked and I was like, are you, are you serious? Is this just like a gentle, like, Hey, this might be fun if you did this. Or like, is this like for real? Like, can, are you really okay with me working with you? Cause I would love that. And she's like, no, seriously, is this something that you would consider? And I was like, yes. Give me. Um, I want. I want. And then I was really, really, yeah. It was, <laughs> I was very concerned, like, because I had just, like, I felt like we were just starting to get to know each other as not just student and teacher, but, like, as actual friends. Because I found that we were into the same styles and, like, we were, like, into the same stuff. And so we started, like, talking about other things other than dogs. And so I was really worried that suddenly I was going to be like, hey. Hey, can when do I start? 
hey, hey, when can I start learning? Hey, hey, do you have any stuff before to tell me, like before I start, before I start training? Because I ended up asking her, I think I ended up asking you if there was any extracurricular reading Mm -hmm. because there was a book that was on the way for me to start, to start like learning and Mm -hmm. being like, like what I needed to learn for the position specifically. Um, But it was taking too long for my impatience because I really wanted to get to working with dogs because it sounds like a dream. Um, I was like, is there anything I can do in the meantime to be better prepared? And she was like, okay, do you like reading? I was like, yes. So she just sent me like a couple of books and I was like, yes, give. And then I started reading, they got them to me and I was like reading them and I was making flashcards and I was like, I know and being a nerd but I, I have all of these flashcards and she's like no I like that I love it 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 was exactly like when I first started my career I wanted to read everything I, I still read as much as I can on the all the new sciences and everything um but it it's amazing when you see another trainer who actively wants to learn and better um, not just the field, but all the people we help in it. So, uh, and so far you've been doing a great job. You've been going for a few months now and you're fantastic. So I think I made a good choice in hiring you. Oh, thank you. I know you've said that before, but it really is. It still <laughs> means a lot. <laughs> you guys sound like two peas in a pod because you, it sounds <laughs> you like really you just are. described <laughs> Megan when you said I was, oh, I was ready to prepare and I wasn't getting here fast enough. I needed to prepare. So like <laughs> peas in a pod. Yeah, there. we are the same person. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I did get your faux show show joke too. You did. <laughs> Went right over Tyler's head. <laughs> but Tyler, um, how are you this week? I mean. I'm a couple pounds lighter. If you can't tell, if you're on YouTube, I would suggest checking us out on YouTube. I uh, lost a couple pounds this morning. Oh, this morning. This morning. You Okay. Yeah, I'm doing fine. Yeah. Things are a lot colder now. Oh, I'm an idiot. What? <laughs> I got my hair cut, uh, and I went oh. from having the longest hair I've ever had in my life to a skin fade uh, up to, um, you know, a little flat bit of hair on top. top? No, it's, it's not a flat top. I can it's, just it's style definitely it in a the fade. Front. Yeah. Did you not have long hair that you could put in a ponytail like when we met? No. No. It was like it was decently. L- no, I didn't when we met. I haven't had my hair that long since high school. Um, really? Yeah. Why I, do I remember you with long? I long had hair. like long, longish hair, but it wasn't like down past here. Really? really? Yeah. I don't know why I, for some reason, thought. Yeah. No. So I. It's been I, many years at this. Point. It's been five years, six years. No, it's been four and a half. It's that, been five years, basically. Four and a half. Yeah. Because uh-huh. I, I met you because of my dog. Uh-huh. And I got my dog in like October. Okay. And he'll be five in July. So. Okay. It's been about four and a half years. Um, But yeah. So I I cut it all. I cut my beard down. I hadn't cut my beard. I, um, you know, I'm sleek. I'm aerodynamic now. So. <laughs> Minus the lumberjack. Sasquatch. <laughs> Chest hair, yeah, Is that what you're, yeah, chest and shoulder hair, yeah, yeah. Well. Aren't track stars and stuff supposed to like shave all that for aerodynamics? I I think swimmers do. I don't know about track stars, but yeah, I uh, I didn't do that. <laughs> I, I probably will here soon because it's getting to be hot. 
Uh, it our our area we have started. We've got the first spoonfuls of spring shoveled mm-hmm. into our mouths. So, yes, I just made that comparison. <laughs> it landed though, didn't it? It did. It landed <laughs> with a thud. I can tell by <laughs> your face that you wanted to say with a thud. Um, yeah, no. Um, I have nothing. Nothing really happened this week. It was a fairly, fairly good week. I do have. I guess I have some news I didn't really talk about earlier, but I don't really want to share it on the air. So it's nothing major. I just don't want that information public. Okay. So we'll chat after. Yeah, we'll talk. Let me know. Yeah. (laughs) How about you? What's been going on other than your forty-eight hour bug? I mean, really, that's what's been going on is a forty-eight hour bug. Um, that, and then I, (laughs) uh, between that, I then did a lot of uh reading this week for this wonder segment because this is one i've been like extremely eager to do uh so that actually took up a lot of my week um and a lot of my free time all right well cancer cat still is uh going strong by the way glad to hear it glad she's uh loving life yep as it is right now so um I guess we'll go ahead and move on if there's nothing else, and we'll. It's probably going to be a long one. Wonder All right, segment, then let's so dive into the whiskey. Opening the bottle. You were very late with that one. I was, and it splattered all over my face too. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, wow! I got a smell though. <laughs> that was good. This week we are drinking Copper Dog whiskey. Is this an official Scotch? This is a Speyside Blended Malt Scotch Whiskey All right. without the E. So it is a blended Scotch Whiskey. Um, Copper Dog, and this is from their website. They're about us on their website. Man's best friend, as the saying goes, Copper Dog is that and more. A companion for everyone and for every occasion. Familiar, inclusive, friendly, and relaxed. In the in years long past, the colorful characters grafting in Scottish distilleries would help themselves to a dram using a copper dog, a pipe hidden inside the leg of their trousers. They would fashion their own vessels with scraps of metal from the copperage, soldering a penny on one end and keeping the dram safe at the other with a cork. A chain attached, two belts or braces, would make sure the whiskey was kept on a tight leash. Copper Dog is a tribute to those space-side rascals whose legacy inspired our unique blend of no fewer than eight single malts. So this is a uh, from the space-side region in Scotland, and I hope I am saying that correct because I know we do have some Scottish listeners. I'm pretty um, sure that is so, um, so we talked about giving you just a, a semi-small pour. <laughs> if you don't like it, we will pour you some of our whiskey of the year, whiskey twenty twenty one whiskey Ooh, of the year. Which, if fun. you don't know what that is, go listen to our year end of year special. Yeah, for anyone uh, who is good with whiskeys and knows all about them, that is not me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> But it says Copper Dog, so I have to try it. I have to sniff it. And who knows? I might really be into 
into this whiskey. All right. Well, this is an award-winning from the heart of Speyside. Our liquid is a unique blend of no fewer than eight single malt whiskeys, slowly married together in old oak casks. It's a smooth scotch. And then it goes on to talk about uh, the tasting notes. So, so we're just going to go with that. For everybody out there, this is, and I apologize, I literally just did that thing where I went before <laughs> I talked. Ugh, I hate that. Uh, so this is 80 proof, which means it's 40% alcohol by volume. So it's fairly low side. Uh, it smells that way to me. I don't get any sort of burn, um, any sort of peppery smell. This is, um, I got this for, I got this a while ago and I'm pretty sure it was about $40 from our local state run liquor store. Um, I know they tend to add a couple five to 10 bucks per bottle. Uh, you know, they got to make money too. So, you know, just if you're looking, looking for MSRP on this, um, I'd, I'd say it's probably 30 to $40 range. I've been smelling this and frankly, it's smells kind of boring in a way. It's, it's buttery and grainy and that's about all I smell. Uh, definitely buttery is a good way to describe it. Um, very, very buttery. Um, but then I'm getting a little bit of a citrus fruit, like maybe a lemon or. Okay. Yeah. Um, very faintly. Yeah. Very yeah. faint. And it's very, very buttery. And then just a hint of citrusy stuff. So one thing I read this week was that, um, and, and it kind of made, Actually, I'm sorry, I didn't read it. I was watching a, another whiskey video because that's what I do. I watch whiskey videos. <laughs> um, and this person was saying if they can hit three big um, notes out of it, they're pretty happy. And so that's kind of what I've always internally gone off of. Uh, but he also mentioned that what helped him, he, he had had some sinus issues in his past. It was an older gentleman. And he had had some sinus issues, and he he mentioned that opening his mouth a little bit while he sniffed helped him pick out a little bit more flavors. So I've been trying to incorporate that since I'm pretty sure everybody on the podcast knows my history with <laughs> sinus <laughs> issues. <laughs> and by the way, yes, the issues are already popping up again this year. With I've already had migraines because of pollen. I'm going to ask, do you want to attempt the surgery again? <laughs> no, I've, <laughs> I've learned my lesson. Three strikes. I know what happens on the third strike. I've, Three strikes? I'm, oh. I'm on my second. So the first, we were talking about this earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, the first time I ended up having appendicitis and Wait. had to have my appendix removed and cancel the surgery and postpone it. Oh. Then the second time I actually went in for the surgery and what happened happened and all that. And so now this will be third time's the charm. No thanks. So isn't that supposed to be like the lucky time? The lucky time is third time. Third time is the charm. We're baseball fans. Three strikes, you're out. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. That is a good oh, point. Oh God, you just touched on a very sore subject. We baseball, should have talked about in the open, the open segment. segment. Yeah, Oops. one day. So fucking owners. I might be bad, but I don't know if I smell a little bit of apple when I open my mouth. Something fruity-ish. Okay. I definitely do get a little bit of fruit. I tend to lean more citrusy. I get a little more orange kind of 
Yeah, definitely flavor. orange, not lemon. But. So, um, what we are supposed to be tasting is... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Taste or smell? Smell. Smell. <laughs> smell. Whoa, okay. Whew. Sorry. Sorry, I had to jump in there for a minute. <laughs> we are supposed to be smelling crisp apple. Ooh. Ooh good job. We might have a natural. Mm-hmm. And zesty citrus and vanilla. Yeah, I can do the vanilla. So that. I just took the smallest of small sips. Cheater. And oh no, it's time to drink. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> and I was surprised. It was very peppery. Um, but again, I'm discounting it. It takes usually a couple sips for me to really get in. I do have a sweetness that's hanging on my tongue. But that pepperiness was very forefront. I am not getting any peat at all, which makes me so happy because I hate peaty scotches. Um, no, this is very smooth. Yeah. Like I said, the um, the back end of the palate is definitely like a black pepper. The front was, mm, I need I need to taste it again because right. it went by so fast. I did. So it's definitely very sweet on the front end, like the initial sip. Um, and yeah, then black pepper hangs around at the back. Maybe a little tiny bit of the um, smoky spice is at the end as well that you kind yeah. of associate with a scotch. Yeah. Um, but initially there is something very sweet there that almost makes me think, like bourbon sweetness. Yeah, I was actually thinking when I just tasted, I'd got vanilla. Yeah. So that's uh that's a very bourbony characteristic. Um but this is I can't get over how smooth this is. I am Pleasant, yeah, very impressed. Pleasantly surprised based off how uh muted the smell was. Yeah, I agree. I thought this would be based off the smell, uh, I thought it would be a little boring. But yeah, same here. so far it's <laughs> I mean, first couple steps in, it's not so boring. What do you think of the first couple steps, Bella? I've had several sips, which is a surprise for me for drinking alcohol straight. Um, <laughs> I used to drink alcohol straight all the time uh, and can't often anymore, but I really, I do like this. I figured I would when I, sw- so I like wine. So I swirl my le- wine and mm-hmm. can look at the, the legs and I could tell this was going to be a sweeter wine just because of the way it sticks to the glass or scotch. So sorry. <laughs> I mean, you are like, does that talking about the legs and shit? Look at you being all professional. That has I, I thought that had to do with the alcohol content and less no, about No, that sweetness. has yes, that has to do with the sweetness of a wine. So huh. when you swirl your wine, um, and the way it sticks to the glass, you can tell um, by the way that the legs run down. Is it a thick leg? Is it a thin leg? Is it running like you see how it has a big bowl mm-hmm. at the end of it and it kind of slowly drips down? Yeah. So you can tell it's going to be um, a sweeter alcohol. Um, so I did not know cool. that. <laughs> Look at that. We're learning stuff. Yeah. Gosh, now I hope I'm right. <laughs> Suddenly doubting myself. Um, it's all right. That's but, that's the pressure we feel every week. Yeah. But uh, I really, really, really like red wines. So um, I drink and taste a lot of red wines. Um, and so I could just tell like from the, the thickness of it, like the way that it sloshes, the way that it sticks around the side of the glass, the way that the legs are thicker and slower, this is going to be an alcohol that is easier for me to drink. Um, I do like drier wines, but for whiskeys, I know I like sweeter whiskeys just because, like I said, uh, 
before this, I used to drink um, Jack Daniels honey. Um, just I could drink that straight all night long, but I cannot now. I like this. So I just had, I guess it's my third or fourth solid mouthful, or maybe not mouthful, but you know what I'm saying, full sip. And I got basically no burn at all except for the little bit of peppery the pepper after pepper on the back end there was no it wasn't major so that is something i would advise to anybody that's might be getting into whiskeys out there is give it a couple sips and you know it might it might be a little harsh the first sip or two but it it you know you'll your taste buds will adjust and you'll be able to pick those finer notes out yeah yeah i would say like the first sip for me um was just like straight alcohol like i couldn't have told you anything about it yeah. if i hadn't taken the taken that second and third sip um but taking that fourth sip it is very buttery it's very sweet it's um has the pepper on like the back of the tongue and if you swish it underneath it doesn't have a burn either really it's very very good one i'm glad i decided yeah. to go ahead and try it i cool. um i'm too i agree with everything y'all have said um I think you ha you hit a key word there with buttery. Yeah. It just clicked, as you said. It is buttery on the front end. It's like a yeah. very, almost like a vanilla cream yes, flavor. Yes, it's very creamy. It's thick. Um, Like, you know those those caramels that have, like, yes. the, the white in the center? Yes, no. the bullseyes. The bullseyes, yeah. Yeah. It That's what it made like me that. think of. Yes. It made me think of a bullseye. The inside of it. Yes, the yes. creamy, the white part. Is that, like... The cowtails? It's it is a cowtail without it being in a stick. Okay. Okay. So it's a cowtail that's been cut into pieces. Okay. Um, it tastes kind of like okay, so you know butterscotch. Yeah. So if you added a little bit of cream to this, this is what I feel like Harry Potter drank in the three broomsticks. Okay. <laughs> I like that. I've had a butterbeer at the uh hog Hogwarts things. Yes. Harry Potter World. But wasn't wasn't in the books like it actually was alcohol and had like a burn to it. I don't in the books, I believe it is alcoholic. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. Which well, is I, I, I never imagine, caught that. I'm almost positive. You put a little bit of cream in this mm -hmm. and drank it. I feel like that's what they'd be drinking. Hmm. I really well, like that idea. <laughs> I mean Hogwarts is supposedly in Scotland, right? Yeah. It is. Ooh. This is a bullseye, by the way. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you've hey, ever... look, the licorice version. <laughs> We had that talk before we started recording about how someone here likes black licorice. Only the candy. I don't like anything else. I don't like Jaeger, the Moxie, Maxi, yeah. the drink that just tastes like that. What about a Twizzler? I love Twizzlers. Yeah. What? Okay. Uh, how? I don't like licorice. <laughs> Twizzlers aren't real licorice. Red licorice isn't real licorice. Yeah, but it's still licorice. nasty. I can't say that word. I like red fast. Twizzlers. Okay. Well, you like nasty things. Were you oh. about to say licorice and couldn't? And then yeah. Say Twizzler? Oh. Yep. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> All um, right. I disagree with every single one of these tasting notes. So I don't really want to read them. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, it oh, said boy. that we're supposed to be tasting uh, berries. No. Citrus, apple, pear, and toffee apple, like candied apples. And I disagree with all of that. So, yeah. I, well, I guess. I, I guess a toffee apple, if a toffee apple is a candied apple, and a candy apple to me is kind of caramely, yeah, that's where okay. you could get the idea of sweetness from. Yeah, maybe. I get nothing remotely related to berries. No. I don't either. 
Mm. Yeah, not at all. Um, so I don't really like those tasting notes, but those came directly from their website. Uh, so I think they tasted their own stuff wrong. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they got the the smell so right, and apparently I did smell apple, maybe? Yeah. Um, I just didn't taste that at all. No, not at all. But so I think we just got hustled. She was like... I don't, I don't like whiskey, blah, blah. And then she comes in, yeah, it's apple, and mm-hmm. Look it's going to be sweet because the legs <laughs> and were I put it under my tongue. We straight just got Okay, hustled. all right. I did say that I don't drink it anymore. I drank a lot when I was in college. Um, stories and reasons for no longer drinking like that. Uh, but, like, I did used to be able to drink literally anything and everything straight from, like, bottom of the shelf, uh, I think it was aristocrat vodka to again, sky vodka, um, Jameson, uh, Jim Beam. Like I just, I just really like to drink things straight. And then, um, I could, at one point I could mix it. I can still mix them without getting vomity, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but like feeling sick. sick. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel sick when I mix them. Um, but, uh, did puke on a cop? So, oh, that sounds like a story for another day. Yeah. yeah. Um, interesting that you say that. I have. Uh, I think I mentioned it. Some of the folks I play trivia with, I tend to share some of these. Usually, if I've had a whiskey before, we do it on here. It's because I've shared it with that group on a on a trivia night. And this past Thursday, um. I actually didn't share one of my own. I somebody else brought one and it it was really good, but for whatever reason, after two beers mixing that one little sip of whiskey, I was up half the night, just my stomach was in a knot. I didn't end up getting sick or anything, but felt like it. Yeah, I felt like it. So Um, so we're gonna sip on this. Mm-hmm. Oh, excuse me. I already got the whiskey burps. We're gonna sip on this. And we're going to learn something. So let's jump into the topic today. It's time for the wonder segment. <laughs> I just caught sight of my face and I had 100% an Elvis snarl like <laughs> in the thing. And it was just my natural face, just the way it was looking. And fuck of our much. Well, thank you. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> anyway, Megan, what we learned today. Onward and upward. All right. Every year, one of the most intense and epic races takes place in the United States. It occurs during the first week of March and can last over two weeks as participants face whiteout conditions, blizzards, 50 mile per hour winds, and chills that can feel below 100 degrees Fahrenheit. There looms a very real threat of animal attack, most most common moose most commonly. And as you've probably realized, this is not your run-of-the-mill track and field style race. In fact, it would be incredibly hard for humans alone to make the journey, which is why a team of sled dogs lead the way. Up to 100 competitors can gather at the start line in Anchorage, each a musher with a team of 14 dogs to traverse 938 miles of Alaskan wilderness to reach Nome. It's called the Iditarod Trail Sled Dog Race, 
and often fondly referred to as the last great race. It began on March 3, 1973. The Iditarod is chock full of history and legend, and I've been wanting to do a wonder segment for over a year, but I decided to wait until March of this year because, as of recording, the 50th annual race has just begun. In fact, it kicked off on Saturday, March 5th, 2022, if you're listening in the future. <laughs> Since I'm writing this before it starts, I won't be able to give any standings or anything yet, but it appears that 49 mushers are competing out of an original 64. Here's some, some interesting tidbits before we dive into the history. This year, Mitch Seavey, who's wearing bib number 30, and his son Dallas, who's wearing bib number 20, are competing. Mitch has won the race thrice before, breaking the all-time record for the fastest run in 2017, reaching the Burled Arch, which is the finish line in Nome, at 8 days, 3 hours, 40 minutes, and 13 seconds. Dallas has competed alongside his father as the youngest ever musher to compete the Iditarod when he turned 18 in 2005. He is also the youngest winner, taking first place for the first time in 2012 at 25 years old. He has since won five times, tied for the most wins alongside Minnesotan Rick Swinson. And perhaps this year, Dallas will take the title for himself alone at six wins. But only time will tell. Mostly, Native Alaskans compete, though the race does welcome competitors from around the world. Rick Swenson, the same man with the five championships, was the first non-Alaskan to win in 1977 during the fifth annual race. It sounds like he just cheated a bunch of Native Alaskans out of championships <laughs> there. He just came in and said, I'm going to dominate this. <laughs> it took much longer for a non-American to win. But in 1992, Martin Boozer, or Busser, couldn't figure out which, <laughs> Martin Boozer from Switzerland took the title. Women has ran the race since its founding, but it wasn't until 1985 that a woman won, Libby Riddle, Riddles. And Susan Butcher was the first person to win three consecutive years in a row. The Iditarod Trail Sled Dog Race was first imagined by a woman named Dorothy G. Page. She'd become known as the mother of the Iditarod. In 1964, Dorothy was the chairman of the Wasilla Nick Centennial Committee and was researching projects to celebrate Alaska's centennial year in 1967. She recognized the importance of the near-forgotten Iditarod Trail and proposed an idea to a musher named Joe Reddington Sr., a Nick native. He'd become known as the father of the Iditarod. Dorothy G. Page is quoted in the October 1979 issue of the Iditarod Runner on her intent for the Iditarod. Quote, To keep the spirit of the Iditarod the same, I don't ever want to see high-pressure people getting in and changing the spirit of the race. We brought the sled dog back and increased the number of mushers. It is really an Alaskan event. I think the fact it starts in Anchorage and then ends in Nome has opened up a whole new area for people in Alaska. I think they appreciate that. It puts them in touch with their pioneer spirit. In 1997, Joe Reddington Sr. took part in the 25th anniversary Iditarod race after celebrating his 80th birthday. 
The, ra- the race was dedicated to this great sled dog racing pioneer. He is the only musher to have been given the first position to leave the chute without drawing, as, wear as, the, as well as the only racer to wear the number one bib. Joe never did win the race he loved so much, but that wasn't as important to him as just being on the trail with his beloved sled dogs. He raced in 19 races and came in fifth place four times. Joe Reddington Sr. died in June of 1999 of cancer. He was buried in Wasilla in his favorite dog sled in a specially made vault. Joe's name is called during roll call at every Iditarod Trail board meeting. The board president always excuses Reddington's absence because Joe is on the trail. This routine procedure at Iditarod board meetings reminds us of the Iditarod spirit that Joe Reddington Sr. exemplified and lives on in the lives of all the mushers, volunteers, and fans of the Iditarod Trail sled dog race. A bronze winner's trophy has been added in honor of Joe Reddington, and a halfway award prize has been added in honor of Dorothy G. Page. Together, the Pages and Reddingtons promoted the idea of a massive sled dog race to celebrate Alaska's colorful past. And as they say, the rest is history. Much like the rest of the country, people struck gold in Alaska, and an influx of would-be prospectors hoping to make it big flocked to the various areas. From 1880 to 1909, Alaska experienced several different gold strikes. But the last true honest-to-goodness gold rush occurred in a town called Iditarod. Iditarod was 629 miles west of future of future Anchorage and the halfway point to Nome. By 1910, it was the largest city in Alaska, boasting a massive population of 10,000. In the summer, these gold towns could be served by steamboats running up and down the various mighty rivers that ran through Alaska. Nome, on the coast, had a regular steamboat service. But in winter, the rivers would freeze up and make travel by them virtually impossible. By the 1910 population boom, the federal government realized that Alaska would need year-round mail and freight. They decided to survey a trail that could be ran by sled dogs. So I apologize for that. Banging Navy just decided to smack her tail against Bella's microphone stand. So um, I see why you said this whiskey would match very well. Yeah. Um, and I want to interject here. I'm going to pour you just a little bit more. We're going to put some water in it at the okay. end. So yeah. save a little bit. Okay. 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 All right. I was, uh, he asked if I wanted more and I was like, no, I'm usually like a one and done kind of alcohol thing now because of, but, uh, yep, I get it. <laughs> um, he was like, yeah, save some. And, and I was if like, that, well, if in that case, <laughs> don't, don't feel obligated to drink all that. If you don't want to, I'll, I'll polish off whatever you don't drink. Okay. Yeah. I'm currently trying to make sure Navia's tail doesn't. No, she's fine. Else I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll get her. <laughs> okay. We'll you got enough. All right. But why dogs? Why not horsen or oxen? Horsen. Horsen. <laughs> <laughs> get this. Quote. The typical tra- traveler on the Iditarod Trail was a musher driving a team of 20 or more dogs 
pulling a massive freight sled capable of carrying half a ton or more. These mushers followed in the ancient traditions of Alaska natives who mastered the fine art of using dogs for winter transportation many centuries ago. Different native people bred dogs for their particular needs over the centuries. The Malmute Inupites people of the Seward Peninsula developed a particularly hardy breed of sled dog that today bears their name, the Malamute. When Russians and eventually Americans arrived in the North Country, they quickly discovered that team that dog teams were practically the only way to reliably move across long distances in Alaska when river travel was not possible. Indeed, they found that dogs were ideally suited for winter travel for a number of reasons. Pound for pound, the sled dog is the most powerful draft animal on earth, and a team of 20 dogs averaging perhaps 75 pounds each easily match a team of horses weighing more than twice as much. As a matter of interest, one dog has pulled more than half a ton in the canine equivalent of a tractor pull. And as late as the 1960s, Yupik Eskimos of Nelson Island moved much of their town, including entire houses, to new to a new site two dozen miles away with hundred dog teams. Dogs are faster than horses over the long haul, capable of maintaining average speeds of 8 to 12 miles an hour for hundreds of miles, including rest stops, and can exceed 20 miles an hour or more on shorter sprints. Even better, dogs can be fed from the land with moose, fish, or caribou in the winter, while horses or oxen require expensive hay or grain. Moreover, heavy draft animals cannot use the snow-packed winter trails. The early mushers used a mixture of breeds, ranging from native types such as the Malamute and Siberian Husky to various domestic dogs imported from the lower 48. Some mushers even used wolves. To promote Alaska statehood, an Alaskan musher drove a team of wolves all the way to the Chicago World's Fair in 1933. By 1900, Dog teams were as common in Alaska as cars, ATVs, and snow machines are today. End quote. Wow. Dogs are so cool. So I I have a question for you. Yes. I know you listed off some breeds there, but what? But you've referenced, um, oh, what are they called? What did, what did, what was the word you used? Sled dogs. Mm-hmm. I think what. Is there a specific breed? Are there like a couple breeds that are quote sled dogs? I mean, there are a few different breeds that are sled dogs, and some people do use like mixed breeds as well. Um, but okay. stereotypically, huskies and malamutes are the sled dog when you think of a sled dog. Um, giant schnauzers can pull sleds and carriages pretty well. Um, they aren't as good in the cold, but they are um, a good like sled style dog um there's several several different breeds but stereotypically if you think of a sled dog you're going to be picturing either malamutes or huskies interestingly enough um the huskies that we see here like the the very stereotypical like husky coat pattern isn't um super common like in alaska like Mm -hmm. Um, they have spots and like quote unquote blemishes and that's what people mm. think of as working huskies there. 
um they look very kind of different so yeah. i see why you were like this episode would fit you and i was like yes yeah I as soon as you started like talking yeah um do do they use samoids there uh i because i know that they're um sled dogs for the samoyan people or are they called the the samoyedic people i believe is what they're actually called but um do they use samoids in alaska now because yes they do Ooh. yes there's every because the world now is so connected mm-hmm. um breeds from all over the world have been imported to alaska as sled dogs so yes nice. there yeah. uh there are teams that compete with um samoyeds and uh native american indian dogs and all sorts of different different breeds yeah i remember in like middle school i did the paperwork on the guy who caught and tamed the wolves he used for his sled team yeah that was the one for the 1933 world yes yes i'm glad yeah yeah Yeah, that can be its own wonder segment yes yeah um this is making me think of that book i had to read in elementary school called stone fox i wanted to make sure it was called stone fox i googled it and i saw you like Yes. Yeah, that book made me cry. Yeah, that was a very sad book. Did yes, you ever read it? I did not. What? No. I have it still. I will find it for oh, you. Okay, I I've not read it. I tell you what happens, but I don't want to spoil it if you're going to read it. So, Is it about Ooh. sled dogs? Yeah. A okay. sled dog. Is it a... A sled dog. Who's the author? Uh... Uh... <laughs> because there is a very famous author that I almost... I read their book for this research and then included like none of what they wrote. John Reynolds. <laughs> okay, not him. Gardener. Yeah. You should show her the picture if you can of the um it's a very just memorable. It's like a, this, this one? black dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This black dog and this kid um right beside like a team of sled dogs. Yeah. Um, I do not recognize that at all. Really? Yeah. Wow. Have you I don't know. How? I don't know. Um I don't All know. All right. Well, uh yeah. I guess I don't want to spoil it. You will enjoy that book. It's I read it in like a night third or fourth grade. <laughs> oh wow, so I'll so finish it in like an hour. Finish it <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Okay. I wanna yeah. read it. Okay. So Okay. I wanna read it. Um, All right. Well but then I won't you can, spoil it. You can yell at us afterwards. Okay. Because it's like just a kid's book, but yeah. it, I'm sure like I said, I it made cry. me cry. Yep. Um, anything about dogs makes you cry, but yeah. happy, sad, like yeah. semi inconvenient, like the dog gets a thorn in their paw. So yeah. I figure you might be in the same way. Okay. <laughs> um, the Now I can't remember his name, um, but the author who wrote The Hatchet. Um, Whoever he is uh, has dedicated a lot of his life, actually, to um, sled dog teams. And he wrote a book because he he trained and ran the Iditarod. Um, and it's actually it's a great book. It's hysterical. Um, and it's nonfiction. It's just his memoir of running the Iditarod. Um, and it was fantastic. So I highly recommend everyone read that. His name is. This book? Or... Oh, no. I thought you were pointing at the screen. No, I was just. My Alexa adjusted her volume, and I said, "No, you." <laughs> okay, Alexa, so cancel. You were talking to. Yeah, she your... heard me now. Uh oh, now she's going to be listening. Always listening. Do what? Sure. sure. Noise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gary Paulson. 
that was the book, the author from the book you... Yeah, the yeah. author who wrote The Hatchet. You had to have read oh, The Hatchet in school. Nope. Well, okay. Weird. So you read The Stone Fox, which is not a common book for people to have read in school, but you didn't read The Hatchet, which was like a book that was required in every school across America apparently that not, I remember. Like, apparently not mine. You and I grew up West Coast, though. Nope. No, I did not. You didn't? No. Oh. I spent um, most of my very early schools in Texas. Um, and then in middle school and onward, I was here. Never even heard of it. And then before that, you know, West Coast. So. Okay, well. Well, yeah. Uh, Gary Paulson, he, his book is, a believe I called Winter Dance, the story of training for the Iditarod. Um, and it, it's very, uh, very interesting. Don't actually play it, Audible. Yeah, I just read the synopsis of the book. Never even, no. All right, never. well, uh, if you're curious about uh, the Iditarod and you want to hear a very great entertaining story, check out Winter Dance, The Fine Madness of Running the Iditarod by Gary Paulson, who wrote The Hatchet that Tyler has never heard of. <laughs> I was just about to say that I've never read. All right. <clears throat> like, I remember not only was the hatchet required in my school, but so was the one after the hatchet where he like yeah. got sent back into the woods. Yeah, I remember the guy, that one. and the guy suddenly got hurt or something yes. and wasn't a co- yeah. I just I can't. I don't know that book, the book with the the grapes, the grapes vine and the turtle on its back, mm-hmm. and then oh, I thought you were gonna say the grapes of wrath. Yes, that's the great. The turtle on its back is the grapes of wrath, isn't it? Mm, I think so. Yeah, I don't know. And Life then, is hard. No, that, the grapes of wrath like were the people ago. that moved from Oklahoma to California. I don't know. Do you know how long ago that was? <laughs> the, Do you know how old I am? Yeah. The chapter about the turtle being on its back was the first chapter. It was just this was whole. It? Yes, the whole thing was about like just the first chapter was all about the turtle being on the back, and the rest of the book was about like the family moving, which oh. was so stupid that the first chapter like I wrote an entire paper on this to my English professor or teacher, English teacher. And she was like, don't tell anyone, but I agree with you. Nice. <laughs> now the whole world yeah, knows. Yeah, I was just about to say the whole world knows No one secret. knows where I went. But she hated that book and was required to make us read it. And then the book about the meat market. Those are the only three books that I know that everyone was required to read. I don't think I read any of those except, well, I don't think I read any of those. But I was supposed to read The Graves of Wrath. I watched the movie. Oh which explains why I didn't those. know the turtle. You were one of those kids. Hey, I was watching the movie. I was working at that time, so in elementary school. No, I had to read *The Grapes of Wrath* in high school. Yeah, oh, that was a high school book. Was it? Yeah. Well, I mean, the West Coast did have earlier readings than like a lot of like my East Coast friends. So, like me and my East Coast friends were reading things after my West Coast friends. So you might have read it before us. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I just I I was working. A lot of my so. child is blackness. Childhood <laughs> is blackness, so I don't remember. You mean your crotch goblin? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh. <gasps> All right, we've effectively got Megan Derailed. off the rails. So. All right, let's jump off back in. Off the trail. Off the trail. <laughs> uh, we lost. And so the Iditarod Trail became a major thoroughfare for Alaska especially during harsh winter months. Dog teams were used for virtually everything, from carrying mail and freight to even ferrying passengers across the wilderness. 
quote, the freight mushers on the Iditarod Trail would start out from Nick laden with mail, food, and gear for the isolated miners as soon as the river crossings were frozen. In November of 1911, for example, 120 teams headed west across the Alaskan Range. Each day, they would try to make 50 or 70 miles. Stopping at roadhouses, sorry, stopping at roadhouses about a day's travel apart. Many roadhouses were in villages, but some, such as Skin, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't look up any of these names, Skinwintna <laughs> Station and Roan Roadhouse were isolated way stations, not much different from Old West stage shops, stage stops at half a century before. Mushers could get a meal and a warm bed, food for their dogs, and a place to wait out the storms that periodically swept the trail. A trip to Nome could take three weeks or more. Mostly, the teams hauled cargo, but passengers were sometimes carried in long sleds. Most people who did not plan to winter over probably had taken the last steamboat out in the fall when termination dust began to coat the tops of the mountains. Termination dust? Yeah. So that's what they called it when they started to get that snowfall. That's when they knew it was time to get out. Because isn't that like what usually starts avalanches is when fresh snow falls on, yeah, yes, old snow. So it terminates everything. Yes. It makes sense. From what I understood, termination dust was more of like a you need to get out type warning. Like, okay. it, unless you wanted to stay there for the winter. Uh, I see, because you'd get completely snowed in. Okay, okay. Yep, you'd be stuck. The dog teams sometimes hauled out the season's gold on the return trip to Nick. According to Ron Wint in the Hatcher Pass Gold, 2,600 pounds of gold arrived in Nick on December 10th, 1911, hauled by four teams. In December of 1916, no less than 3,400 pounds of the precious metal came out behind 46 dogs. End quote. <laughs> Dramatic. <laughs> it wasn't. <Pause. laughs> Sorry. It wasn't long before the gold rushes began to die off and people began to return their original locations, bereft of the riches they'd sought. The first time the Iditarod appeared on the official U.S. Census was in 1920, and it claimed a mere 50 residents, far, far from the 10,000 at its heyday. And by 1930, Iditarod was abandoned, a true ghost town. Only shells of the city remain, ruins of buildings and a most intact single cabin and the concrete vault that the bank held. Any building to the bank is long gone. The town died, but the trail continued to thrive for a few years more. In winter, the Iditarod Trail, along with a few other long-distance sled dog trails, were used through 1940, their popularity declining steadily every year because one thing spelled death to the Iditarod and sled dogs. The airplane. And I just, there we go. The first airmail flew in Alaska in 1924 by legendary aviator Carl Ben Yelson from Fairbanks to McGraw. The popularity of aviation grew exponentially from there. Quote, Alaska went directly from the steamboat and the dog team to the airplane, 
without the road and railroad building era that led to the dense road and rail networks of the lower 48. Even today, Alaska has fewer miles of highway than any other state except Rhode Island, end quote. That's because Rhode Island's like as big as a well, landing strip. I'm getting to it. <laughs> Consider the size of Alaska. Oh. As it is the largest U.S. state covering 17.53% of our country, over 600,000 square miles. The second largest state is Texas at 7.07% and around 250 square, 250,000 square miles. Rhode Island is a minuscule 0.04% of our country's mass at just 1,100 square miles. The largest state bears the smallest amount of highway in part, at least, to sled dogs. And before I finish the history of the Iditarod, I want to cover the main reason I started this research, the Great Race of Mercy. The best article I found was written by Will Hank for the American Kennel Club in 2020. And rather than paraphrase, I want to read his words directly. In the winter of 1925, a deadly outbreak of diphtheria in the remote part of Nome, Alaska, threatened the lives of the 10,000-plus living in the area. Children were especially at risk, and Nome's isolation created a nightmare scenario. An antitoxin was located, but the nearest point which the serum could reach by rail was Ninana, located 674 miles from Nome. With a blizzard approaching, air travel was ruled out. Officials determined that the only way to deliver the serum in time was via sled dog teams. A relay of 20 teams was assembled, including that of Leonhard Sapala, Alaska's most venerated musher. And amazingly, in just five and a half days, the Great Race of Mercy was completed and the life-saving serum was delivered to Nome. While the lead dog of the 53-mile final leg, Balto, would become famous for his role in the run, many argue that it was Sapala and his Siberian Husky lead dog, Togo, who were the true saviors of the day. All told, the 12-year-old Togo and Sapala traversed an astounding 264 miles compared to an average of only 31 miles each for the other teams. I want to reiterate that this Husky is 12 years old and he ran nearly 300 miles. Damn. He's amazing. For years, Balto, who also came from Sapala's kennel, was celebrated, even earning a statue in New York Central Park. However, those in the know regarded Togo as the serum runs unsung hero. Over time, with the help of historians, Togo began to garner the recognition he deserved. In 2001, Togo received his own statue in New York City's Seward Park. And in 2019, his story was retold in the riveting Disney Plus movie, Togo, starring Togo's own descendant, Thiesel, as the namesake Siberian. Are you raising your hand for a question? No. 
oh. statement. Yes. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> yes. I, first, if anyone look watches the YouTube thing, I'm not dancing for the plague. <laughs> I'm not dancing for the people that died. I'm dancing because I love this story. I have a, like, like I love it. Um, Togo has he's stuffed actually. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, all right, you're getting yeah. to it. Oh, we're right. getting yeah. to it. Yeah, I have right. a lot more right. on Togo. Cool, awesome. I'll There's, just keep quiet. I'm so excited. There's have, a lot more on Togo. I have one other observation that's very quick. Mm-hmm. This is the second episode where diphtheria has come up in a row. It is. And I figured out diphtheria is a f- severe infection of the nose and throat, which creates a gray matter in like your, your nose and throat. Yeah. Area. Don't, oh, I just saw you clicking. You were like, don't, don't look it up. You don't want to. No, no, I'm <laughs> behind the scenes here. Whenever. Whenever a sound that if you listen to our podcasts and not the YouTube videos, we for as a special treat to our podcast audio only listeners, we put a sound, a funny sound from the episode at the very, very, very end of the podcast. And so I put little flags in the recording wherever something interesting, wherever happens. something interesting is, so we can and go back. Then and at choose. the end, we okay, cool. What we want that yeah. sound to be? Yep. So very... that's what I was doing. It's very concerned you're going to look that up, and nope. I've seen it. You don't want to. Nope. I'm I don't like medical stuff at all. So <laughs> I am the last person that's ever going to look that up. The Norwegian-born Sapala first arrived in Alaska in 1900 when most sled dogs were burly Alaskan Malamutes or mixed breeds. Under the employ of the Pioneer Mining Company, Sapala began making a name for himself as one of the strongest mushers in Nome. Around that time, the first known Siberian Huskies in America were brought to Nome by Russian fur trader William Gusak. Those dogs, topping out around 50 pounds, would surprise by taking third in the annual All-Alaska Sweeps Sweepstakes Race in 1909. That summer, English musher Fox Ramsey imported 60 of the finest specimens he found in Siberia to Nome. In 1910's All-Alaska Sweepstakes, an all-Siberian team driven by musher Ironman Johnson took first place in what remains a course record. Clearly, there was something to be said for these smaller yet scrappy Siberians as stellar sled dogs. While whelping records from the era are scant, it's generally accepted that Togo was born in 1913 to a dam named Dolly who was regarded as a foundation bitch in the breed's development. At the time, many of Nome's finest sled dogs were found in Sapala's kennel. As a puppy, Togo suffered from health problems, and Sapala saw no use for the undersized, seemingly unfit dog. However, after being given away to a neighbor, Togo flung himself through a glass window and escaped back home. It seemed to Sapala that he was stuck with the incorrigible pup. As Togo grew, he became captivated by the working sled dogs surrounding him. Still too young for a harness, he often got loose to run alongside teams training with Sapala, much to his owner's anguish. His penchant for mischief led to a mauling when he ran up on a team of much larger Malamutes. Exasperated, Sapala decided to do what he did best with his dogs. He put a harness on the eight-month-old Togo and hooked him into the team. Togo ultimately ran 75 miles that day and worked his way up to lead on his first-ever time in a harness. 
Unwittingly, Sapala had found himself the perfect lead dog for which he had always yearned. Over the years, Togo became known across Alaska for his tenacity, strength, endurance, and intelligence as Sapala's prized lead dog. Togo led Sapala's team in races and excursions, long and short, and dog and man became inseparable. During this time, Sapala himself won the All-Alaska Sweepstakes in 1915, 1916, and 1917. By the time the diphtheria outbreak struck in 1925, Togo was 12 years old and Sapala 47, both seemingly past their primes. However, with the fate of Gnome in the balance, locals knew the aging yet experienced duo was their last, best hope. As deaths from the disease mounted, the decision to act was made. A multi-team dog sled relay was arranged to deliver 300,000 units of serum, already en route to Nanyana by rail, the remaining 674 miles to Nome. On January 29th, Sapala and his 20 best Siberians set out from Nome with trusty Togo at the helm to meet the westbound relay and retrieve the vital serum. Amongst those not selected by Sapala was Balto, whom the musher felt was yet unprepared to lead a team. With temperatures hovering around negative 30 degrees, Sapala and his dogs made incredible time in their mad dash east, covering 170 miles in three days. All the while, the outbreak worsened back in Nome. Officials decided to add more teams to the relay, unbeknownst to Sapala. After cutting across the treacherously frozen Norton Sound to save time and distance, Sapala miraculously ran right into the team of Henry Ivanov, one of the relay's late additions, which was carrying the serum westward. The two teams nearly missed each other on the trail, but, thanks in part to the dogs, the connection was made. Naturally, it then fell to Sapala and Togo to bring the serum back towards Nome. On the return trip across the Sound, the team became stranded on an ice floe. The quick-thinking Sapala tied a lead to Togo, his only hope, and tossed the dog across five feet of water. Togo attempted to pull the floe supporting the sled, but the line snapped. Amazingly, the once-in-a-lifetime lead dog had the wherewithal to snatch the line from the water, roll it around his shoulders like a harness, and eventually pull his team to safety. Back on land, after covering a near-impossible number of miles, Sapala and his team eventually made the serum handoff in Golovin, just 78 miles from Nome. Late additions to the final stretch of the relay included musher Gunnar Kassen, who, against Sapala's instincts, had chosen Balto to lead his team. On February, 20, uh, on February 3rd, 1925, Kassen and Balto rode into Nome to a hero's welcome. The serum had arrived and the town had been saved. While Kassen and Balto were given much of the glory, it was Sapala and Togo who insiders knew had it truly saved the day. And the years following the serum run, Sapala made trips to the lower 48 states with his heroic sled dogs. Sapala traveled all the way to New England and took on a team of local Chinooks in the friendly sled dog race. With Togo in the lead in what would be his final race, 
the much smaller Siberians triumphed. Ultimately, Sapala and the New England musher Elizabeth Ricker chose to open a kennel of Siberians in Poland Spring, Maine. It was there that Toga lived out the rest of his days in dignity and serenity. The indomitable dog was finally put to rest in 1929 at the age of 16. In 1932, Sapala returned to Alaska, whereupon the kennel closed and the dogs were delegated to friend Harry Wheeler. According to the Siberian Husky Club of America, all of the breeds registers dogs of today can trace their ancestry to the dogs from, Septal- from the Septala Ricker Kennel or Harry Wheeler's Kennel. Over the years, more and more began to recognize Togo on the Serum's Run's true hero dog. Eventually, in 1983, his mounted body was given a place of honor at the Iditarod Race Headquarters in Wasilla, Alaska. Most famous among modern dog sled races, the Iditarod Trail Sled Dog Race is held each year in March, with parts of the route traversing the same 1925 Serum Trail run taken all those years ago. Sapala himself passed away in 1967 at the age of 89. A fitting tribute, the Leonhard Sapala Humanitarian Award is given to the Iditarod musher each year judged to have taken the best care of their dogs. As for his thoughts on Togo and the Great Race of Mercy, which changed the course of his own life and dog sledding forevermore, Sapala summed it up thusly in his unpublished autobiography before his passing. Quote, Afterwards, I thought of the ice and the darkness and the terrible wind and the irony that men could build planes and ships. But when Nome needed life in little packages of serum, it took the dogs to bring them through. End quote. And that is the story of Togo. There are two reasons why the last great race was organized to save sled dog culture and Alaskan Huskies, which were being phased out of existence due to the introduction of snowmobiles in Alaska, and to preserve the historical Iditarod Trail between Seward and Nome. Quote, The race is really a reconstruction of the freight route to Nome and commemorates the part that sled dogs played in the settlement of Alaska. The mushers travel from checkpoint to checkpoint much as the early freight mushers did. Although some modern dog drivers move at a pace that would have been incomprehensible to their old-time counterparts, making the trip to Nome in under 10 days. While the Iditarod has become by far Alaska's best-known sporting event, there are a dozen other major races around the state every winter, such as the grueling 1,000-mile Yukon Quest, the Kobuk 440, the Cusco 300, and the Copper Basin 300. Alaska is the world mecca for sled dog racing, which has developed into a popular winter sport in the lower 48, Canada, Europe, and even Russia. Mushers from more than two dozen foreign countries have run the Iditarod, and Alaskan mushers routinely travel outside to races in Minnesota, Montana, and Wyoming. In earlier years, some had participated in a race in the Alpriad in Europe and a race in the Russian Far East. The Winter Olympics at one time was considering adding sled dog racing as an event, and several sled dog races were held in Norway in conjunction with the 1994 Games. During the days of Alaska sled dog freighting and mail carrying, 
dog drivers relied on a series of roadhouses between their village destinations. Since these mushers ventured out in most all kinds of weather, for safety reasons, they found the idea that pilots rely on, known today as the flight pound, as the flight plan. Word was relayed ahead that a musher and team were on the trail, and a kerosene lamp was lit and hung outside the roadhouse. It not only helped the dog driver find his destination at night, but more importantly, it signified that, te- that a team or teams were somewhere out on the trail. The lamp was not extinguished until the musher safely reached his destination. In keeping with that tradition, the Iditarod Trail Committee, committee will light a widow's lamp at 10 o'clock a.m., on the first Sunday in March in Nome at the trail's end. This lamp, which will be attached to the burled arch, is our official finish line, and it will remain lit as long as there are mushers on the trail competing in the race. When the last musher crosses the finish line, officials will extinguish the widow's lamp, signifying the official end to the Iditarod for that year. All too often, public and media think of the race as being over when the winner crosses the finish line, yet there are still teams on the trail. Let it be remembered, Iditarod is not over until the last musher has reached Nome and is off the trail. The last racer to finish is given a red lantern, often mistaken as the widow's lamp. The red lantern is an Alaskan tradition with its first recorded award occurring in 1953 at the Fur Rendezvous race. It is seen as a symbol of never giving up. And here are some fun facts to finish up today's wonder segment. Carl Huntington won the 1974 race with the slowest winning time, 20 days, 15 hours, 2 minutes, and 7 seconds. There are 23 checkpoints on the northern route, the first in Anchorage and the last in Nome. On the southern route, there are 24 checkpoints. The northern route is run during even-numbered years, and the southern route during odd-numbered years. The closest finish was in 1978. Dick Mackey finished one second ahead of Rick Swinson. Mackey's time was 14 days, 18 hours, 52 minutes, and 24 seconds. The winner was decided by the nose of the lead dog across the finish line. The largest number of mushers to finish a single race was 78 in 2008. And the longest time for a red lantern was 32 days, 15 hours, 9 minutes, and 1 second by John Schultz in 1973. The quickest red lantern musher is Cindy Abbott. In 2017, she finished in 12 days, 2 hours, 57 minutes, and 31 seconds a faster Red Lantern time than the first 19 winning times. And on one last soapbox, the dogs that participate in sledding are some of the healthiest, most well-taken-care-of animals on the planet. They truly love what they do. I won't dive into how well they're vetted or trained or cared for. Just know that PETA is absolutely trash and will one day (laughs) for sure be a wonder segment. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you, Peter. <laughs> I'll say it. And that is the story <laughs> of the Iditarod and Togo and Balto. I Can guess. I just tag onto that soapbox real fast? Go ahead. Uh, dogs, just working dogs, any kind of working dog, police dogs, bomb dogs, service dogs, huskies that, or sled dogs, draft dogs, 
they won't do anything if they don't like it. Like they're really, I mean, there's not really a good way to get a dog to do something that they don't want to do. They really have to enjoy it if they're going to do that. Like you, have you ever seen a sled dog or any dog run like that? Mm-hmm. And then when they stop running, all they want to do is go, 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 go. more. Yeah. Like sled dogs love what they do. Uh, you can't get a service dog to do what they want or to do the service unless they like really, really want to do it. Or like police dogs to do this search and rescue or like um, cadaver dogs to do any of that unless they want to do it. Yeah. Like they're clearly enjoying themselves. Anyone who says otherwise clearly hasn't been around the dogs. Dog. No, yeah. I fully agree with that. <laughs> and I know there are 100% people that are going to argue that we have no idea what we're talking about. But as trainers, I feel like I've, I for sure at least can definitely say you can see the joy on a dog's face when they figure out what it is you're teaching them. When oh, yeah. they make that connection, you the dog, you can see it in their face. Um, anyone who says dogs don't like to learn and don't like to perform has not ever been around dogs. No, I mean, there are 100% our dogs who don't like to learn and don't like to perform, but like very few very and far few. between. Yes. Um, so if you do have a dog that is like is like that, then, you know, that might be that one dog. But I mean, just anecdotally, every dog that, I've worked with uh, pretty much likes to figure out things. And as soon as they make that connection, there is legitimately a spark that goes off in their eyes and like the smile uh, yeah. as much as a dog can smile crosses their face. And they're like, oh, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And then they just, they get really excited. Yeah. And I've, I mean, I've never gotten the opportunity. It's definitely on my bucket list, but like to go sledding with sled dogs, like that's, true sled dogs on my bucket list yeah. as well. I have, watched someone train their dog from uh this is my dog yeah to sledding and when they hit that connection point of I'm not just running this running has a purpose I have a goal it seems to like connect something and I can I it's very dangerous to compare dogs to wolves um in general but uh like do you know what I mean like wolves do have a goal in general like it's most animals yeah most animals have a goal goal oriented in some sort of way whether it's to get food to play to form a bond and dogs like running together so when like they run together or if like the the unit has a goal it is a great bonding thing so like when you train with your dog you have a goal right you're trying to get your dog to learn how to sit and then suddenly your dog learns how to sit and like you get excited and your dog gets excited but that's like tenfold when that dog learned how to run with the team and do the thing they were like yes let's run for days Mm -hmm. and then they ran for days and that dog was the happiest Mm -hmm. so like yeah you're taking me back to early Early training days with Bo. <laughs> yeah, it's and nice, right? Seeing, and how excited he would get when I got excited that he got something right. Yeah. Um, and just to touch on your point, like Bo is an Australian shepherd. He is built to herd. Mm-hmm. And I have never one day in my or his life trained him to herd anything. Mm-hmm. And we will go. We would we used to go to dog parks all the time and he would start herding the dogs. Mm-hmm. It's just an instinct for some dogs yeah. that are working dogs. It's bred into them. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I guess on that note, 
guys, we're going to go ahead. We're running just a smidge long here. Not too bad, though. Sorry. So, no, it's fine. We'll go ahead and <laughs> <Michael>. dive <laughs> into this whiskey. I went ahead and put some water in mine, so I'm going to pass the water around. You guys feel free if you want. I don't know how this is done. I kind of saw you just dipping your fingers in. I dip a finger in and get about three or four drops of water in personally. Okay. Okay. Is that how it's done? I normally do like one or two drops, but yeah. I literally take my finger like this. Okay. And then I just let it drop. I need a little bit more water. And then I just swirl it together. Something about this past two years about having fingers in a thing that you're going to then stick into your mouth just feels weird. Like, <laughs> oh, COVID. COVID. Yeah. I was like two years. Yeah. yeah, like three years ago. And I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense. And, but like I had a second where I'm like, mm, fingers and then drops into my drink. Maybe not. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and jump on into. Um, I, I got ahead of myself. Yeah, we need a schedule nugget. Trivia with Tyler. All right. All right. So quick one today. <clears throat> a Belgian businessman was instrumental to the Manhattan Project's success. This one's applicable to today. Realizing uranium's importance, he shipped 1,200 tons of it to Staten Island. When Lieutenant Colonel Nichols contacted him, he simply responded, You can have the ore now. It's in New York. I was waiting for your visit. So, he kind of jump-started the supply chain there. Mm. So... I don't know how I feel about that look, but anyway, we're going to jump into our final thoughts on this whiskey now. Final thoughts. The water ruined it. <laughs> really? <laughs> I I don't know if maybe I didn't put enough, but I put too much. Um, I really liked it beforehand. Yep, I agree. <laughs> now it's it's very peaty. Now it's a... It now, after adding the water, has the traditional burn scotch flavor. Like, like when I drink a scotch, I expect it ugh, to taste like this. Um, unless it's a really good scotch, like a Glenlivet. Sorry, I keep hiccuping now into the mic because it's gross. <laughs> it's I don't uh, like it anymore. I okay, get so, Copper Dog. Don't drink it with ice. Don't put water in it. Please, it, no water. Originally, um. When I put water in it, I thought it brought out a butterscotch flavor. I didn't get any sort of peatiness or anything. So I went back and added about another four drops of water to it to see what I'm missing here. Are you just loving out? You is it gross? What do you think, Tyler? I think it ruined it. Ruined. No, I don't get any peaty at all. Oh, that's it's for right. gargle think, it. I think you gargle guys it. have uh <laughs> I I don't know what's going on with you guys, but all I got was a little bit sweeter, a little bit more burn. I don't. <laughs> nope. I don't. It didn't help. Mm, no. Maybe I've just got a little. I don't know. Maybe you I'm developing a, a palate for the. No, not at all. Maybe I'm developing a palate <laughs> for the peaty and just don't even realize it. I don't anymore. know. It tastes gross. I don't like it anymore. It burns. Let me taste yours. 
handing them over. Oh yeah. No, 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 yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, Tyler's the yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I don't like it. And the verdict is Dun dun. I'm trying to do like the law and order noise. Yeah. I, I got I got where you're going with that. <laughs> dun dun. Um yours is a little I don't know how much water you guys put in. Was it not enough? Was it too much? Uh, it seems like it might have been too much. Okay. I'm having serious deja vu right now, though. Can I? Can I? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. You I want to. I want to see bit. what he's tasting. So. Okay. Yeah, that's a little peatier than mine. Red, gross. Is it still gross? No. All right. I did something wrong. I don't know how much you guys may or may not have put into yours. But I just put about six or eight drops. That's very weird. Maybe it's on the finger. Maybe it's maybe the it's finger. something. We both have, what have nail you guys polish been on. Doing with your fingers. We do Is both nail, have nail polish? polish on. I don't know something. My nails still smell like nail polish, so it's a hundred percent possible. But I don't. They're mm-hmm. gel, and they've yeah. been on for a while. So, but I don't. Don't do this with nail polish, guys. I, fuck if I know. You I just am gonna drink it straight. You might have to start trying his whenever he says, "Yeah, it tastes different than what you're saying." Just be like, "All right." I mean, isn't that um, you know the guys who like make hot dogs on their arm in Chicago? No. Yeah. No, I have okay. never heard of this. You've never okay. heard of the people that make hot dogs on their arms? Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. Okay, so they line the hot dogs on their arm as they fill them and they carry them out to you, right? So there's a saying that depending on who carries your dogs to you, the the dogs have a different flavor, and I'm sure it's changed now because of COVID. But um, I wonder if something about the flavor of the dogs depending on the skin of the person the sweat. that serves. Yeah, basically, I mean... I've, oh, you maybe... got Joe. He's a little chunkier. He's got some salty sweat. Well, okay. I mean... <laughs> you if... got a little extra salt on maybe... your dog today. I don't know. You did make a steak before <gasps> this. <laughs> yes, I yes, I did. With butter. You said it was too buttery. Maybe Correct. it got into your skin and onto your fingers. I'm just... I'm well, fully did... reaching here. Yeah, well. I agree. Yours tastes different than mine. I yeah. don't know what I did wrong, but it's very peaty now. I'm going to shoot how much, it. How much water did you have? I don't know. Like a few... Well, I had a lot more left in mine because you added to mine. Although I had a lot added, left in mine, too. I had about that much when I added originally because I originally added before we did trivia with Tyler. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. I Honestly, I didn't notice much change other than it got sweeter and just a little bit the pepperiness came out. But. I don't know why it's so peaty for me and Bella. Hmm. I don't know. I'm going to say fingers until proven otherwise. I'm going to say it's the flavor of the yes. person's skin. Friend John said we need <laughs> to do a wonder segment on tasting apparatuses. And I think we need to upgrade that wonder segment, John, if you're listening to the science of taste. Oh, I thought you were going to yeah. say including people's skin. <laughs> Well, that is part of, we'll conduct experiments, I guess. I don't know. Like, Very let me pour it into my hand and then into your drink. Let me, yeah. Oh. Um, all right, so. Oh, I'm going to shoot it. Chug, 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 chug. Oh, That's not a good thing. Yeah, yeah, it's just the scrunch it's, and shake. It's so peaty now. I'm so upset that I added water. Okay, I know I like Copper Dog without water, or apparently water off of Tyler's fingers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like However, I said, Tyler adds water if that's more palatable to y'all. Um, 
yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting that you guys got some some different flavor because it stayed very similar to me. I mean, um, that's why I wanted to try yours and you try mine in case, like, maybe I was just wrong. I couldn't no, taste it yours, right. Yours was definitely more peaty than mine was. Um, mm-hmm. I, okay. I, I I don't know. Yeah, apparently yeah, okay. shooting, I, it, shooting shooting it, it doesn't taste good. No, <laughs> it's gross. Uh, <laughs> you got some QT drink there, so coffee. It's tea. Ah. And it's proper tea. Yeah. You're both wrong. They're both gross. Oh no. We have the three. <laughs> yes. Sweet everybody's tea. everybody's opinion Unsweet just tea. no tea. Yes. I like real tea, green tea. No, I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> anyway. All right, so let's rate this thing and let's wrap this up. So um okay. do you guys have some numbers ready? Because I gotta think. I don't think I can compare it, considering I haven't had whiskey well, in a while. Just you don't compare it to other whiskeys. Just put it in. Like this, a ten out of ten is like the best thing you ever saw. And no, that's tequila. A one out of ten <laughs> is like screwball. Oh, <laughs> just Man. because you were talking so much about screwball earlier. God, I hate screwball. It's, it's so bad. It's disgusting. So Go gross. back and check out episode two where we. Megan and I tried screwball for the first and last, last time. time. Yeah. I was legitimately surprised Spoiler. that you guys tried that and weren't like, mm, maybe this is a bad idea, considering that that was such a bad whiskey. He, uh, Tyler just pointed at me and everyone missed it. Yes. I was the one who got the screwball. Yep. So I was like, oh, peanut butter flavor must taste good. <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> so. You guys, was, you see what I'm saying here? <laughs> horrible um but no we tyler and i bonded over whiskey before we ever did a whiskey podcast Mm -hmm. yep so we both knew that we liked whiskeys Mm -hmm. so that screwball didn't scare us from doing a whiskey podcast oh good 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 (laughs) yeah okay i was under the impression that uh this podcast is why you started liking whiskeys no oh no 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 we actually so i'm sure some of our other some of our, oh, excuse me, some of our long-term fans have heard us mention it before, but we actually started with another podcast mm-hmm. previously that mm. is no longer out there accessible anywhere, but uh, we recorded several episodes of that, and we would always drink whiskey while we were yeah. doing it. And then we, that one kind of fell apart, and we were trying to find a, we both really wanted to do a podcast, we were trying to find a niche, and here we are. Alliteration. <laughs> Alliteration is <laughs> And great. Megan's creativity don't... Uh, you know, I know. I always, don't sell yourself short there. I I texted Tyler and I was like, "What if we did a podcast called Whiskey and Wonder?" Sold. And mediocre music. Here we are on episode. Yep, I like Sixty-seven. Sixty-seven. Sixty-eight. I thought last week was sixty-seven. Sixty-seven. No, last week was sixty-six. Are you sure? <laughs> yep. Okay. Because I got the files. All right. Numbered. So. All right. I did. I do. I uh, know that this is the. 70th overall episode though what because that the inc- 70th overall. we have three specials we have that several don't count. specials that are not counted as regular episodes ah uh, so like uh there's a halloween a couple new years the fourth of july mm-hmm. so anyway that's four yeah i know something got labeled as a regular episode oh i think it was the halloween one early on i mean there's kind of a wonder segment in that one so yeah so it counts so <laughs> i need some numbers all right um, I'm not going to let the water tarnish everything about this whiskey because I really, really liked it until the water. 
So for getting the water, it's an eight and a half, eight point five for me, almost a nine, maybe a nine. So does that mean like I you really drink it regularly? It. Yes, I would drink okay. it regularly. Okay. This is something that I would reach for pretty often. Um, this is one that I will be attempting to find at MSR, M- MSRP. Yes. Um, well, at our state-run yeah. store. Yeah. Um, it's pretty common. And I'll try to find it at a good price um, because for its price point, you said it was like 40 something dollars. If memory serves, it's been a while since I bought this, but I'm pretty sure it was in about 40 bucks. I mean, this is the first cheap scotch that I have liked. It's one of the only scotches period that I've liked. Uh, the other scotches I can think of all run the over a hundred dollar mark um, that I've liked. So oh God. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that gave it a number for me. <laughs> um, yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah. So, I mean, this is an affordable scotch. It's one that I will definitely be finding and picking up. Um, and it's one that I can see myself reaching for pretty regularly. So, I mean, Tyler says I give tens too often, so I'm not giving it a 10. <laughs> it's not, it's not a 10. But it is damn high. It's a very, very good scotch. It's a very good whiskey. I agree. I. This is not something I would mix. Mm-mm. This is not something. I, I'm. I'm not gonna say it's not. I would do it at least once to, for science. I would throw an ice ball in here, just for science. Mm, no, that's a bad idea. I. Think. I yeah. No, thank you. Um, unless you're. Rolling that ice with your hands, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to have each whiskey three different ways. I'm trying to do it neat with an ice ball and with whiskey stones. Um, I think each one has its uniqueness. So I will do it at least once, but more often than not, I'm probably going to reach for this to have it neat. And I kind of came to a number. I know I said earlier I didn't have a number, but I kind of came to a number during the Wonder segment. But now I'm kind of... I'm going to knock it down a little bit because of your guys' experience with the water. Like I said, mine didn't really change it that much. But I can't guarantee that now. You know, it's inconsistent with water. So my number was eight and a half. But I'm knocking it down to an eight. Right, it's so, another high one. That's high yeah. as hell yeah. for Tyler. Yes. That is high as hell. I thought this was very good. So I would probably give it, so as drinking-wise, it is something that I would, like, drink just by itself, like, sipping. So I can definitely see me drinking it during, like, a D&D playthrough as something you don't want to, like, just sit there and chug a beer. Or for me, just I can drink tequila, just straight tequila, which is, I think, is delicious. <laughs> making space um but uh so lunazul reposado for me would be a 10 because i can just drink that all day long um but i think like i think a seven because i'm not super into the burn all the time but if i'm sitting there at night playing D, wanting to like have a little bit of fun with the characters and like this is something that i would pick up and just like sip on throughout the thing so definitely like a seven or if I'm really feeling it, definitely an eight, just 
just depends on on the mood. You know what I mean? Okay. I wrote down a seven, so that's what's going to end up on the website. Okay. Okay. We will... uh... Keep in mind, a seven would be high for me. I usually do not like things straight anymore at all. Well, that copper dog... Fitting for today's episode. Very fitting yeah. for today's um, episode. I saw a dog on the table and I was like, ooh, I did an episode on dog. <laughs> <laughs> Togo was also um, mostly dark brown with copper streaks. So it's very, very fitting. It is. Oh, double extra. Fitting. It is. He's, he's a go- he was a gorgeous husky. Yes, he was. And yeah. you can see him exactly. There's pictures of his body. Uh, Togo, T O G O. Yep. Yes. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Just like it sounds. Yep. Yeah. Just like it sounds. Um... Ita- it's Italian. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no, it's a joke. All all Italian names are spelled exactly oh, how they sound. Oh, I get it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. See, my joke went over their heads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need someone right over there to explain your joke to us, like I, I explain. <laughs> I don't have enough microphones for that. Oh, sad. Well. <laughs> um. All right. Well. I guess on that note, guys, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, Copper Dog, if you can find it near you, it's worth. That's worth a try. Definitely worth. Yeah. Like even if you don't like um, Scotch, like we did not think I would like this starting out, and I definitely did. Yep. Yeah, I'm quite impressed. So (laughs) yeah. All right. Well, on that note, guys. All right, we are going to get out of here. Thank you so much. Please take time to. Uh, rate us, review us, subscribe, hit the bell, do all the things on all the places, uh, YouTube, uh, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, wherever you are. We appreciate everything. Uh, Check out our website. Thank you for sticking around this week. We will see you next week. Don't drink and drive. Cheers.